Let's open up God's word together uh, to Matthew chapter seven as we continue our study of the greatest sermon of all time preached by the greatest preacher of all time. The Sermon on the Mount given by Jesus Christ on October 18th. 1978, a very popular evangelist and pastor made national news, and it wasn't for a particularly good reason. Over the prior three decades, Pastor Jones had led thousands of people to Christ. He had grown churches in both Indiana and California. In a day when most churches were segregated, Pastor Jones fought to integrate a church. It was a multi-ethnic congregation. He also had a heart for the homeless community. And so in both Indiana and California, he worked hard uh, with local nonprofits to reach out and bless the homeless men and women who were out on the streets. He was doing some amazing work. And on the surface, it seemed that Pastor Jones uh, was a strong Christian and a, a godly leader and a godly pastor. But Those who looked a little closer noticed he wasn't what he seemed to be. There were some red flags along the way. You see, Pastor Jones cheated on his wife and he justified it. Uh, Pastor Jones called himself the prophet and he claimed to be able to foretell the future and he claimed to be able to heal people of their physical illnesses. As the years went by, Pastor Jones became more and more paranoid about losing his power, so much so that in the late 70s, he convinced over a thousand people from his church to move with him to the middle of a jungle in the South American country of Guyana. They built a compound there in the middle of the jungle, miles and miles away from other civilizations, and he moved them down to Guyana. And on November 18, 1978, a certain senator, Leo Ryan, went with a team of reporters down to Guyana to investigate some of the accusations that had been leveled against Pastor Jim Jones and his congregation. And during that investigation, Jim Jones asked his personal bodyguards to kill this congressman and several of those reporters. He immediately, knowing that the authorities were going to sweep into the jungle, he convinced over 900 of his church members to drink Kool-Aid that had been spiked with cyanide. And on that fateful day, November 18, 1978, 913 people were killed. 913 people and 304 of those were children. That tragic outcome could have been avoided if the believers and followers of Jesus Christ in that church had simply done what Jesus teaches us to do in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. That's the passage we're going to look at today. I'm calling today's message, Known by Your Fruit. Known by Your Fruit. So we're in Matthew chapter 7, starting in 15. I encourage you to have your Bible in front of you and see for it, uh, see it for yourself right there in your own Bible that I'm reading right from God's word. Don't just take my word for it. See it for yourself in God's word. Matthew seven, starting in verse 15, Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves by their fruit. You will recognize them. 
Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. May God bless us as we study and more importantly, apply his word to our lives today. In Matthew 7, verses 13 through 27, Jesus highlights two roads, two trees, and two houses. Uh, last week, as we dove into God's word together, as we were in verses 13 and 14, we saw that Jesus highlighted two roads. The wide road, remember, is the road that leads to destruction. In other words, the wide road leads to an eternity in hell. And then secondly, there's the narrow road. The narrow road leads to eternal life in heaven. And Jesus sets out these two roads before us as we stand at the spiritual crossroads and he urges us to take the narrow road that leads to eternal life. Even though it's a hard road, even though it's a long road, even though it's a road that requires discipline and requires thoughtfulness, he says, take the long road because ultimately the destination at the end of that narrow road is where all of us want to be. Eternal life in heaven where there is no more pain and no more death and no more sorrow. And there's perfect joy and peace and love because we're in the presence of God himself. Well, this morning, Jesus will draw our attention to two different kinds of trees. A bad tree that produces rotten fruit and a good tree that produces good fruit. And Jesus highlights these two kinds of trees in the context of a warning. Jesus is warning us about false teachers who will try to infiltrate the church and persuade us and coax us and even trick us to come off of that narrow road and start journeying down the wide road to destruction instead. Well, let's take a closer look at the passage. Let's start in verse 15. Jesus says here, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. In Jesus' day, shepherds liked to wear sheep's clothing. And it wasn't something they would necessarily do as much in the summertime when it was hot, but they especially liked to wear sheep's clothing in the winter because it was so warm. Uh, When a sheep died or possibly they would slaughter a sheep for this purpose, they would skin the sheep and then turn it inside out. They would have that fleece on the inside like an inner warm liner of clothing. And then the skin of that sheep would be on the outside. It's rather water resistant and worked great as an outer shell of a garment. So think about what these shepherds wore in those days. They didn't look so much like this guy. They looked more like this guy. All right. So fleece on the inside, sheepskin on the Outside. Now, this is a pretty stylish looking contemporary coat. I don't think they look quite that nice, but you get the idea. And so most of the time in my life, when I've looked at this passage, I would assume that when Jesus spoke of wolves imitating as sheaves, a sheep, I should say, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, I thought that the, the false teachers that he's talking about here were impersonating sheep, uh, the false uh, uh, 
those, those bandits, those robbers, those thieves were impersonating sheep. And that's not at all what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not talking about false teachers pretending to be sheep. He is warning us about those who pretend to be a shepherd. It's an important distinction there. He's warning us about those who are wolves in sheep's clothing, wolves pretending to be shepherds of the sheep. He's warning us about false teachers. So, yes, there are plenty of people who pretend to be Christians. They fake it to make it, but that's not Jesus's primary concern in this passage. His primary concern in this passage is false teachers who will try to lure us off the narrow road and onto the wide road. So Jesus wants us to beware of false teachers. Well, we say, great. He wants to warn us about false teachers. But how do we recognize a false teacher. That's a pretty good question, isn't it? How do we recognize a false teacher? Well, Jesus answers that great question in verses 16 and verse 20. He says in verse 16, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And then he repeats himself in verse 20, once again, saying by their fruit, you will recognize them. And in the verses in between verses 16 and 20, Jesus illustrates this point. People don't pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. Verse 18, he says, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. It's as simple as that. I'm no expert on fruit trees, but this I can tell you. You're never going to find a big, juicy, healthy peach growing from a dry, crunchy branch, right? I've had some fruit trees at my house. I'm not terribly... (laughs) good at trees. I I don't have a green thumb, but I can tell you this. You're not going to get a juicy peach from a crispy branch. It just doesn't happen. Healthy, juicy fruit can only be produced by healthy trees. So one of the clearest indications that a tree is healthy is that the fruit is healthy. If the fruit is healthy, the tree itself will be healthy. And the same holds true for Christians. I like how Warren Wiersbe says it. He writes, Everything in nature reproduces according to its kind. And this is also the truth in the spiritual realm. Good fruit comes from a good tree, but bad fruit comes from a bad tree. Remember that in Genesis chapter 1, God created everything in the universe. And as we find in Genesis chapter 1, this phrase repeats itself. God created something according to its kind and something else according to its kind and yet another thing according to its kind. We find this over and over again in Genesis 1. Uh, each, uh, each living creature, each living thing reproduced according to its own kind. Flowers, trees, fish, birds, reptiles, animals, they were all created to reproduce according to their own kind. So what that means is, and any two-year-old knows this, you will never have a rose bush produce a chicken. It just doesn't happen. You'll never have an apple tree produce an aardvark. Uh, You're never going to have a chicken lay a dinosaur egg or have a chicken lay a crocodile egg. And you're never going to have a elephant hatch from a crocodile egg, will you? These things just don't happen. Any toddler understands this. Everything reproduces according to its own kind. Everything in nature works that way. And it's the same way in the spiritual realm. If someone is a fake Christian, his or her fakeness will become apparent over time. Maybe not immediately, but it'll become apparent over time. Sooner or later, their rotten fruit will expose their fakeness, right? So you can't identify a false teacher by the way that he dresses. 
False teachers oftentimes dress to impress. So you can't judge a false teacher by the way he dresses. You can't identify a false teacher by the way he speaks. Because let's be honest, some false teachers are much more eloquent than true teachers of God's word. This has always been the case. The Apostle Paul in one of his epistles talks about how some of the false teachers infiltrating the churches that he had planted were much more eloquent than he was. And they were wooing the people in those churches and sweeping them off their feet and getting them over on the wide road to destruction because they were so much more eloquent than Paul was. And so we can't judge whether or not a teacher is a true teacher based on how eloquent that teacher is. There are false teachers infiltrating some churches in America who are much better speakers than your average and sometimes even better than your best Bible teachers. And so we're given warnings that we don't just go with eloquence. These unsuspecting Christians sometimes are swept away by a false teacher who happens to be gifted with a golden tongue. I think that's much of what happened with Jim Jones. He was a very eloquent and passionate speaker. And people didn't check what he said with the word of God. And they were swept off their feet and led to destruction. In Matthew 7, 1, when Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged, he was driving home the point that you and I can never know or judge people's hearts. And we can never judge the motives of their heart. Only God can know and judge a heart. But what you and I can judge is fruit. Amen? We can judge fruit. We can't inspect people's hearts, but we can inspect their fruit. So, some might say, Pastor Dane, are you saying that Jesus is calling us to be fruit inspectors? That's exactly what I'm saying. Jesus is calling you and me, as followers of Christ, to be fruit inspectors. We are to inspect people's fruit because the damage that can be done if we don't inspect fruit could be far-reaching. Adults, Jesus wants you to inspect the fruit of those you vote for on election day. Don't just listen to the politicians' speeches on the campaign trail. They'll say anything to get elected. Inspect their fruit. If you are a parent with children still at home, parents, God wants you to inspect the fruit of adults and even sometimes teenagers who want to be a part of your kids' lives. Inspect their fruit. Make sure they're not an Eddie Haskell just saying what your itching ears want to hear but there are someone much different in reality. Singles, let me talk to you for a few moments. Don't get into a serious relationship with someone who is just telling you what you want to hear. Churches across America are filled with false Christians. Young singles who claim to be believers and followers of Jesus Christ, but don't produce any spiritual fruit. And why don't they produce any spiritual fruit? Because, surprise, surprise, they're not really saved. They're not true Christians. They're only faking it. They're going through the motions. So let me do something here for the next couple minutes. Let me give you singles some wonderful, life-changing advice. You might pay a few hundred dollars for this advice at a weekend seminar, but I'm going to give it to you for free. I'm going to give you ten questions that you can ask anyone that you're considering dating to find out if they're the real deal. To find, if they, find out if they're serious about following Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you want to ask these ten questions to someone you're thinking of dating, the truth is you shouldn't want that person to be dating someone 
they can't answer these 10 questions either. So it's not just a matter of asking this of someone else you're thinking of dating. Ask yourself these same 10 questions. I'll go through them quickly here. Question number one, to find out if someone is a true follower of Christ. Number one, would you share with me your testimony of how you became a Christian? Okay. Sometimes you'll talk to someone. They say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, tell me about it. When did you accept Christ? Well, I grew up in a Christian home and they hem and haw. They have no idea when they accepted Christ. They don't know the general time. They don't know how their life was really changed. There's no moment that they can look back to to when they accepted Christ. If someone's talking in that type of language, chances are they never truly accepted Christ. They never truly turned from their sin and made a conscious decision to follow Christ. That's a red flag if they can't give you their testimony. Number two, what's the name of your church and how often do you attend? I like this one a lot. There have been so many times I ask someone, hey, are you a Christian? They say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Great. Where do you go to church? If someone goes to any Bible teaching church in this community, I don't care which one it is. I like to compliment them and encourage them to keep going to church. So, hey, what church do you go to? Well, it's, it's over there off of Bear Valley Road. I, I kind of forget the name of it. Oh, OK. Uh, what's the pastor's name? I don't remember his name. OK, well, what's he been preaching over the past month? Well, I'm not really sure. Let me just be honest with you, friends. If someone doesn't know the name of their church and they don't know the name of their pastor and they have no clue what he's been teaching about over the past month, chances are that person doesn't prioritize church. And if they don't prioritize church, they're probably not prioritizing Christ either. Question number three, how often do you read the Bible outside of church? That one hits close to home for a lot of us. Don't just crack open your Bible on Sunday. If someone's serious about following Christ, they're going to crack it open during the week because they hunger for his word. Number four, what's your prayer life like? That hits close to home for a lot of people, too. If you're thinking of dating someone and they never crack open God's word on their own and they hardly ever pray, maybe a quick token 10 second prayer before a meal and that's it. That's a red flag. Question number five, what kind of volunteer work do you do? That kind of separates the Christian men from the boys, doesn't it? If that person's not using any spiritual gift that they've been given to serve the Lord, maybe they haven't been given a spiritual gift because they're not really saved. Next five questions. Question number six. Do you practice tithing? Remember, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think it was Billy Graham who said, show me your checkbook and I will show you your God. That's a pretty convicting statement for many. If someone is just spending all their money on themselves and gives God just some leftovers when they think about it, that person is not prioritizing God. Question number seven, what sins do you struggle with and what steps are you taking to resist temptation? I dare you singles to ask that question of someone you're thinking of dating. Question number eight, where is God leading you to serve him this year? Where is God leading you to serve in 10 years? If you're thinking of eventually marrying this person, make sure you're moving in the same direction that your goals line up. Number nine, what are your sexual boundaries before marriage and why? Why do Christian singles never ask this question of those they're thinking of dating? They wait until they're in the heat of the moment to discover what their person, what their boyfriend or girlfriend's sexual boundaries are. Uh, that's just suicide. Don't do that. Find out what those sexual boundaries are ahead of time and see if they line up with Scripture. Finally, number 10, you do know that lying is a sin, don't you? <laughs> that's an important final question. Well, there you go. Free advice. It might cost you a few hundred bucks elsewhere, but I encourage you to ask these questions, singles, of those you're thinking of dating. You could probably think of other questions as well that help determine if someone is solid in their faith. 
Now, as you ask these questions of yourself and answer them honestly, chances are you do not pass these 10 questions with flying colors. None of us do. But if there is a consistent difficulty in answering these questions and having answers that line up with Scripture, then that is a huge red flag that chances are the person you're thinking about dating is not serious about their Christianity. They're not truly following Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you probably need to look elsewhere for a boyfriend or girlfriend. Well, let me shift gears now because Jesus is calling all of us to inspect our own spiritual fruit. We've taken a brief look at that. I believe he's calling Christian parents to inspect the spiritual fruit of those who have influence over their kids. I touched on that a few minutes ago. And I do believe he's calling Christian singles to inspect the fruit of those who they're thinking of dating. But the truth is, Jesus' main focus in these verses, verses 15 through 20, is in our spiritual mentors and teachers at church. So I would be remiss if we didn't spend a few minutes focusing on spiritual mentors and teachers in the church. Some of you here today uh, on this broadcast, watching this broadcast, are visiting Impact Christian Church. You don't watch this broadcast regularly. I want to let you know what I'm about to share with you. Jesus's words in these six verses is really, really important for you. If you're visiting with us today and you don't normally attend the church, maybe you don't have a church home. What I'm about to say is very important. Others of you are regular parts of Impact Christian Church. But the reality is at some point down the road, you'll either move out of the area and start attending another church Or you'll decide to leave impact for one reason or another. You need to really pay attention to what I'm about to say as well. We need to know what Jesus is teaching us here about how to find a church and how to make sure that the church we're attending is not peddling a false gospel and that pastor is not teaching a false gospel. So here's the key question. How can we identify false teaching in the church? Well, we've already seen in verses 16 and 20, Jesus tells us that we can recognize false teachers, remember, by their fruit. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? Uh, Many churches are too big for us to get to know our pastor on a personal basis, and we can't see what those church elders at that church are doing behind closed doors. Uh, What we see on Sunday mornings might look good, but we really don't know the pastor and elders well enough to kind of inspect their personal life fruit outside of a Sunday morning. So how do we know if there are false teachers in that church peddling a false gospel? Well, you might not be able to see the rotten fruit in a false teacher's personal life, but I believe you can always over time identify rotten fruit in a false teacher's teaching. William Barclay points out five red flags of false teaching in the church. For the sake of time, I'll just highlight three of those red flags. Red flag number one, teaching is false if it focuses primarily on the observance of external religion. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, I like how Barclay explains it. He writes, it is impossible and indeed not uncommon to teach that religion consists of going to church Observing the Lord's day, fulfilling one's financial obligations to the church, reading one's Bible. A man might do all of these things and be far off from being a Christian. 
For Christianity is an attitude of the heart to God and to man. I think that's pretty well said. So when you are thinking of of joining a church, I encourage you to listen to a bunch of the pastor's sermons. Thankfully, we can find usually dozens of sermons from any pastor online at any moment of the day. So don't just attend 12 services in a row. Uh, go online and, and, and listen to a bunch of the pastor's sermons when you're thinking of joining a church. And you will discover certain things as you listen to a number of that pastor's sermons. I also encourage you to show up for a Bible study and sit in on someone else in the church's teaching. Ideally, an elder or another pastor on staff, someone in a position of authority, sit under their teaching as well and really have your ears wide open. I encourage you to to listen to those messages and and soak in that teaching. And if almost all of the teaching is focused on the external and there is very little said about the sin in our hearts and the need for the spirit of God to transform us from the inside out, that's a red flag because our faith is lived from the inside out. Remember, the most important things in our faith stem from the inside out. There is no excuse for any church to neglect teaching about our hearts and our souls and our spirits. That's a sign of false teaching. And if you discover that church is all about the external and almost never talks about the internal, that's an indication of rotten fruit. Find another church. Red flag number two. Teaching is false if it focuses primarily on thou shalt not. This is really important. Barclay says it this way. There is a type of teacher who says to a new Christian, from now on, you will no longer go to the cinema. From now on, you will no longer dance. From now on, you will no longer smoke or use makeup. From now on, you will never enter a a theater. If a man could become a Christian simply by abstaining from doing things, Christianity would be a much easier religion than it is. But the whole essence of Christianity is that it does not consist in not doing things. It consists in doing things. Isn't that true? Like most Christians, I do not think that there is any place for Christians who are serious about following Christ to drop F-bombs left and right. I don't think there's any reason why any Christian who's serious about their faith should be drinking Jack Daniels every weekend and seeing every R-rated movie that comes out. However, however, ultimately, Christianity is much more about what you do than it is about what you don't do. There are plenty of people in our world who never drop F-bombs and never go out to see R-rated movies and never drink a Jack Daniels on the weekend that are headed straight to hell. That's true. And some might wonder, well, how is that possible? How could someone who lives such a squeaky clean life not make it to heaven? And the answer is clean living doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Amen. And Jesus only saves you if you follow him. And following Jesus has never been primarily about what you don't do. It's primarily about what you do do. Trusting him, loving him and obeying him. We talked about that a little bit last week. Say that with me. Trusting him, loving him and obeying him. One more time like you mean it. Trusting him, loving him and obeying him. And here's the kicker. As you do these things, as you trust Him, as you love Him, as you obey Him, you will naturally not do the things 
that grieve his heart. You will naturally not do the things that the Bible says are sin. Does that make sense? Trusting, loving and obeying Christ leads to not doing the things that in the Old Testament God said thou shalt not do. We naturally do them when we want to love God and trust God and obey God. But it doesn't work in reverse. Living out the thou shalt nots does not naturally lead to you trusting, loving, and obeying God. And so it's very important to make sure when you choose a church and when you choose a pastor whose teaching you're going to sit under, to make sure that that church and that pastor are teaching the do's of the word of God and not just the do nots. If a pastor or Bible teacher is constantly preaching thou shalt not messages and is uh, is ignoring the call of Christ to trust, to love and to actively do what Jesus says we should do. That's a red flag. It's a red flag. That's a sign of legalism. It's a sign of false teaching. It's an indication of rotten fruit. Find another church. Red flag number three. Teaching is false if it tries to convince people that following Christ is is easy. Barclay writes, any teaching which takes the cross out of Christianity, any teaching which eliminates the threat from the voice of Christ, any teaching which pushes judgment into the background and makes men think lightly of sin is false teaching. I I get really concerned when pastors eliminate the words repentance, sin, and hell from their preaching. To me, that's a huge red flag. Man, I'm just preaching a positive message. I'm just preaching a a message that will help people feel good. Well, Jesus didn't always preach messages that were happy and made people feel good. He preached messages that were convicting. Jesus loves a positive message more than anyone. But he also preaches about sin and about judgment and about hell. And so we should as well, as we follow Jesus Christ, remember that a watered-down gospel is no gospel at all. Some of Jesus' teachings are really, really hard. And as we saw last week, the narrow road to heaven is a hard road. When God's Word is faithfully preached, it doesn't tickle our itching ears. Instead, God's Word corrects and it rebukes and it encourages us to turn from our sin and follow Christ with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. So, If a pastor's teaching is always easy on your ears and his teaching is always easy on your conscience and it makes you uh, uh, seem like, oh, following Jesus Christ is so easy, uh, then that's a red flag. That's a red flag. That's a sign of false teaching. That's an indication of rotten fruit. Find another church. Now, I'd like to end this message by urging you to inspect your own spiritual fruit. Jesus made it very clear early in this chapter. We don't just look for specks in our brother's eyes and ignore the logs and planks in our own eyes. We got to do a self-inspection right now. In the 1800s, there was a man by the name of Adoniram Judson. He graduated from seminary and he had a call to reach the lost, particularly overseas. He graduated from seminary and very soon after he was given a a position by a respected church in Boston, they asked him to come and become their associate pastor. 
And his mom was excited and his sister, uh, they were, she was excited because they lived in the Boston area. And so they just had this vision of Adoniram and his wife moving in with them and they would be close to him and he'd still get to do ministry, which God had called him to do. And he responded by declining that position and saying these words. Adoniram said, my work is not here. God is not calling me beyond. God is calling me beyond the seas. To stay here, even to serve God in his ministry, I feel would be only partial obedience and I could not be happy in that. And although it cost him a great struggle, he and his wife, Anne, left his mother and sister and his own native country, the United States, and they moved to Burma. And in the years that followed, over 50,000 people became converts to Christianity because of Adoniram and his wife's ministry that they accepted. I'd like you to take a moment and meditate on Judson's words. He said, I could not be happy with a partial obedience. He could have just as easily said this. I could not be happy producing only a little bit of spiritual fruit. Friends, it's not enough to just walk on the narrow road and make it to heaven someday. It's not even enough to walk that narrow road and produce some fruit for Jesus Christ. You also need to make sure that you are producing as much fruit as humanly possible by the grace of God. And in order to produce the fruit that God has called you to produce You have to make sure that you are in a church that is faithfully teaching God's word and make sure that you're sitting under the teaching of a pastor that preaches sermons at times that hurt, that sting your conscience, that prod you on to love and good deeds, that correct, rebuke and encourage you to follow Jesus Christ with everything you've got. You see, life is too short and our God-given mission is too important to squander our fruitfulness. Our lives are too short and our mission is too important to squander our fruit-producing ability that God has given us. Every one of you has so much potential to produce much fruit for God. So don't settle for less than your very best. Oh, you start producing fruit as much as you can. Make sure that your teachers and mentors are helping you to be as fruitful as you possibly can be for the glory of God and the advancement of Christ's kingdom here on earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the ability to produce fruit. And Lord, we can't do it without You. You are our source. You are our root. You are our empowerer to produce fruit. Lord, I thank You so much that You have allowed me to be fruitful. And I pray that I would be even more fruitful in the days to come and not squander a single day of fruitfulness. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that You would help them Be as fruitful as they can be today. If there is any voice in their head that is saying that they cannot be more fruitful than they are right now, I pray that you would correct that voice and speak the truth into their hearts and minds that you have called them to produce even more fruit in the days to come so that more people can get saved and more Christians can draw closer to you 
And this world can be changed for Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, make us fruitful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here with us today and you've never accepted Christ, it's not complicated. It's hard to follow Christ, but it's not complicated. We'd like to share the ABCs. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And C, choose to follow him as the Savior and Lord of your life beginning today. If you want to make that decision today, I encourage you to reach out by phone or text to one of our prayer counselors. Their names and phone numbers are on the bottom of your screen. Reach out to one of us. Let us know that you need prayer. Let us know that you're ready to accept Christ as your Savior and your Lord. I want to thank you so much for joining us on this 4th of July. We're going to end the service by taking communion together. But some of you I know probably won't be staying for communion. And so I want to end it right now with just a quick, quick chorus on this 4th of July. Please join me in singing. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the ocean white with foam. God bless America, my home, sweet home. God bless America, my home, sweet home. God, I pray that you bless this great nation, and that we would expand your kingdom here and around the world. God bless you, church. We'll see you next week.